life. Are you growing with it or feeling left out? Either way or in between, you're in the right place today with the host of Change Already, Your Future, Your Choice, Jillian. She's an award-winning author and radio personality. She's warm, she's fuzzy, and she's got an attitude. I've been off the air now for the last couple weeks, and the last time we were together live, I was broadcasting from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. It was a wonderful trip, but it was mixed with both sad goodbyes to a dear soul sister of mine that I had become very close with, and we lost her last year to cancer, but it was also a celebration of her life. And stories were told and reminiscing of different things that had gone on between all of us. And it really made a lasting impression of on me, not in the way that you would think it was. Of course, we were there to celebrate my friend. But the other part to the story was the whole aspects of death and what it represents and how we honor those people after they've left the earth. When I grew up in the church, as you all know, I was a minister's daughter, which I've talked about in the last couple of weeks. There was lots of pomp and circumstances throughout all different highs and lows of a person's life. You know, birth, when you we had baptism, and then when you got married, most of the time you had a big celebration, and when different communion and all those different kind of things was always a big event. And this was the complete opposite of what I've ever experienced. And to be honest with you all, it really threw me off a little bit because my friend Susan, who we're talking about, had the luxury of planning the way that she wanted her celebration of her life to go after she had passed in the from this earth into heaven. And she was the kind of person that really wanted us all to be joyful and celebrate and commune together and just appreciate the lives that we have, the journeys that we're on, and to share in each other's experiences and joy. So there really wasn't a planned event. There were a few things, but it was very quiet. It was very simple, and it was very spontaneously. We released our friend back into the heavens. It still had a lasting impression on me because, of course, I've never done anything like this, and I felt odd. I felt, to be honest, I felt like it was almost more real in the celebration than what I had grown up with and all the rituals and things that went along with it. So I'm growing in even the ideas of life and death and how we celebrate after a person is gone. So again, I'm changing my thoughts my ideas to incorporate some different philosophies and thoughts. And it was just nice to step away for some downtime with some friends and just be quiet for a while. 
but one of the things I noticed while I was sitting there and we were at the ocean at Myrtle Beach, how Mother Nature has everything lined up and that's what I was trying to resolve in my head was it was very natural the way the service went down or the celebration of life. And I started to realize how every second that we do really does line up with the next. And as I watched the waves coming in and out, it became this synchronized measurement, like a fine-tuned clock. I watched how the ocean waves were breaking with precision, and they were giving way to the very next wave, waiting behind in the wings to take the water to shore and take my friend's ashes back to sea. If you really watched it and paid attention, you could see how some of the people were in the ocean and were involved and our group was in tune to the whole process of Mother Nature and life and passing on and moving. But as I was watching, the other people around were just oblivious to this perfection. They wanted to do whatever they wanted to do. They were going against the flow, and they were bound and determined as human beings to disregard the natural flow of what was happening in front of them. And instead of blending in like we did, we just went with the currents, they choose to fight back against this innate current that was there. So it was really making a concerted effort after I was everything was done and I was quiet with myself to blend in with what was going on and understanding that one connection that everybody talks about. But the majority of the time, that's not what the norm is. Most people feel it's okay that they can do whatever they want, however they want, even at the cost of nature and, God forbid, human beings. Which brings me to the subject I want to talk about today, of course, I can't overlook the past tragedy that has happened in America once again with the terrorist, alleged terrorist bombing in Boston during the Boston Marathon. We seem to find out things as those events unfold. Once we get past the shock of it all, we start learning these different things of mindsets and who these people were and who could actually carry out an act of terrorism of killing other people in regards for their own spirituality. It's so strange to figure out how people and the mindset that people get when they do this and why they have such an adversity in this country towards American people and what they stand for. So I started thinking about this horror and what in the world could I say that hasn't been said out there for this nonsensical act that's hard to put our minds around and even comprehending. As we've seen in the past many thousands of times, we go over it a million times in the media and they regurgitate and rehash and tear down and look at the people and everything else. So what is left to think about and make sense of such a strange 
and tragic situation that we find ourselves in again. When I find myself in these situations, I retreat and go back to a place that comforts me. I go back and I read text from a wise source. You may not know this person, but he is a very famous Indian philosopher and mystic teacher when he was alive and during his time. I go back and I reread his information, and believe it or not, he is quite relevant to what's going on now. His name is Bhagwan Rosh Nish. He's better known as an infinite Indian teacher from India, and his short term is called Osho, and that's spelled O-S-H-O. This great philosopher was born in 1931, and he died in 1990, but he was popularized as a spiritualist in the 60s, straight up to his death in 1990. His teachings are so profound, and it's so strangely odd sometimes, but is it really, that the words that he spoke and the dissertations that he gave to millions of his followers are still relevant today. I came across Osho with a dear, dear friend of mine and a lovely woman that I honor in my life and is a mentor, and she was actually privileged enough in her past to spend time with Osho while he was still alive. She's always send me excerpts every day or every couple days on words of wisdom from the many books and dissertations that he did in the world. And she sent over a dissertation that Osho did on terrorism. I thought it was so profound and spot on. I thought that I would share with you a few excerpts from his manuscript because I'm not sure I can even put words in how I'm feeling, but he did such a good job at putting it in a spiritual perspective not from condemnation, but a place of looking at the lessons that we're always talking about and how we can change our thoughts to include a more oneness philosophy. I'm not going to read you the entire version of his dissertation, but if you're interested in finding more about him, he's everywhere. But the dissertation that I'm going to read directly from can be found in Beyond Psychology, Session 18. Now listen to this date. He wrote this in April. How strange is that? In 1890, 18, excuse me, 1986. I'm going to read directly from it, so if I stumble a bit, please just overlook it. I'll do my best to give you the words that he said in Osho's own liturgy, in his own words. He was very commonly known for having conversations with his people, the sannyasins that followed him, the people that listened to his words. So he was a very open teacher. And so during a lot of his sessions, he would allow people to ask any questions that they wanted, and he would without hesitation, eloquently give these wise words that can be followed even today. So here it is, Osho on Terrorism. 
there was a person that in the audience that asked him this question. Is the rise of terrorism over the last decade in some way symbolic of what is happening to society in general? Here's what he said. Everything is deeply related with everything else that happens. The event of terrorism is certainly related to what is happening in society. The society is falling apart. It gets older. Discipline, morality, religion, everything has been found to be wrongly based. It has lost its power over the people's consciousness. Terrorism is going to become bigger and bigger because the Third World War is almost impossible. Terrorism simply means that what was being done on a social scale now has to be done individually. It will grow. It can only be be prevented if we change the base of human understanding, which is a Himalayan task. Because some of these people, the same people who you want to change, will fight you. They won't allow you to change easily. Until we change the basic ground of humanity, Terrorism is going to become a more and more common everyday affair. It will happen in airplanes. It will happen in buses. It will start happening in cars, and it will happen to strangers. The hunter is back. Now we cannot fight collectively. Each individual has to do something to release his own steam. Things are indeed interconnected. The first thing that has to be changed is that man should make more rejoicing. Religions are condemning your living of comfort. Only the blessed ones who are poor can become terrorists because they have nothing to lose and they are boiling up against the whole of the society because others have things, excuse me, things they don't have. If you live in fear, not in joy, we can clean the basement of the human mind's unconsciousness, and that's what my work is about. It can be cleaned away. Terrorism is not the bomb in your hand. Terrorism is in your uh, your unconscious. The new situation is that every human being needs to go through therapy, needs to understand his unconscious intention, needs to go through meditation so that he can calm down, become cool, and look towards the world with a new perspective of silence. Again, this is from Osho, Beyond Psychology, Session 18, April 21st, 1986. Now, Osho is a very controversial character. If you know anything about him, 
he says things that I don't entirely agree with or even have interest in understanding. But the part that Osho says in here makes a lot of sense in many ways. How many times have we all talked about everything is deeply related to everything else that happens? The one thing that stuck out in my head was it's going to become bigger and bigger because we cannot solve this on a larger scale. We each have to work on our own individualism and grow in our own joy and rejoicing place. I thought it was interesting when he said only the poor can become terrorists because they have nothing to lose. They're boiling up against the whole society because other things they don't have. What was it these young kids, these young boys in particular, didn't get from the rest of us? How did we miss the mark? How did they miss the mark in not fulfilling that place of joy that we all have with inside ourselves, but some of us have no way of understanding how to get there? We're starting to come across reports of the older brother And he echoed this same reality when he said there were little or no American friends that he had. He felt alienated from the rest of society in America. The question is, terrorism, and according to Osho, is only going to get bigger and bigger. How, as a society, when we're looking at gun control and everything else, when there was no way of figuring out how these young kids were going to do this. We have to think beyond what's in front of us of the physical. As Osho put it, we have to start working through therapy. This is why I stress meditation, yoga, tai chi, reading texts of this kind, constantly filling your mind with the joyful and rejoiceful parts of our life and throwing away the parts that are dirty and don't make sense and hurt us deep inside. Of course, terrorism is going to be a part of the rest of our lives, but the reality is there are things, again, that we can do as individuals to figure out how we can embrace these lost ones that feel like they don't have things. Maybe it's not things we're looking for, but it's the aspect of the soul that fills the need of things that these young boys were missing. I don't know. I have no idea what we're going to do, but we can certainly look at the wise words that have been given to us in the past by mystic teachers and profound philosophers that seem to have their finger on the pulse, whether it was 67, 77, 87, or April of 1986. There are words and thoughts and ideas ideas out there that we can grab hold of that maybe will give us some kind of solace and some kind of hope for the future of what we can do next. After the break, I want to talk about the next series that I'm hosting in May. And I want to talk about the pink 
full moon that we're having tonight. So we'll see each other after the break. Looking for more? Welcome back. Here's your host, Jillian, warm and fuzzy with an attitude. back we were just talking about terrorism and Osho and the wise words that he left us years ago that still pertain to the relevancy of today and lest I leave you with a Debbie Downer part there that's always a sad sad thing that we need to talk about but I feel like we need to talk about it anyway tonight is April 25th and it's supposed to be what the indigenous Native American people labeled a long time ago as the pink full moon and a linear eclipse. Now, it all depends on where you're at in the world, and I know I have listeners all over the world, so I'm sorry, Americans, I don't think we're going to be able to see the actual pink part, but if, in, if, I, if you're in Europe or on the Asian side, I think you'll have a better glimpse of it than we will. I was looking at the pictures online and and people were sending and posting on Facebook and everywhere else. What a beautiful sight. And then I thought, what does that mean? You know, have you noticed how almost everything has a lineage back to some mystic point of view? If you strip down everything you see, and mystic, people get all freaked out about the word. To me, mystic means just a higher value. 
that there's something bigger. And a long time ago in history, there were no timepieces for anybody to keep track. They didn't have clocks, you know, and they did have some kind of devices that would shadow and things like that, moon dials and stuff. But before even that, how in the world were they supposed to pay attention, the indigenous people, of when the seasons were turning? Well, as I started researching the subject, I found a very delightful dissertation on the full moons. In the Native American ways, they would actually name each one of the full moons. And there's all different kinds, and they would use this to describe what parts of the season they're in. And the pink full moon means spring, thank goodness, because we've had snow in the last three days where I'm at. And it goes by the pink full moon because there is a flower that blooms. It's called moss pink, pink moss. And it's one of the earliest herbs that flowers, and it's better known as wild ground phlox. Now, I better get that right because my one of my other dearest friends is a landscaper, and she's always teaching me this stuff. I try to file it away, but it never seems to stick too long. I think because I keep moving and filling my brain with other things. But apparently this flower begins to bloom, and hence the full moon, pink full moon fact. I thought that was really fun because it's something to liven our spirits and know, yes, we're in this state of sadness over what has just happened in the last couple of weeks in America. We will always move on and things will begin to bloom again. I just want us to learn our lessons and know that spirit's with us the whole time. And yes, spring is right around the corner. I want to start the series that of next week in May, and I'm taking the whole entire month of May. I'm, as always, interested in the psychology of the human psyche, and it has some strange little quirks to its construction sometimes. I don't know what it is inside most of us, but we are just almost craving and obsessed with understanding the inner workings of a mind that creates these kind of terrorist acts or other perverse kind of things that that actually create havoc on communities and people. I don't understand why we like it, but it's something inside our brain, and I'm sure a psychologist could exactly pinpoint what keeps us enthralled in those moments. But I want to talk about serial killers. And I know that's kind of going directly from terrorism to serial killers, but that's kind of the way it the world unfolded as we were getting, because I was planning this series anyway, and now with this last act, it just kind of throws us to the next step. It's hard to understand why human beings inflict this kind of crime on another. And a lot of times they tie it to their own religious aspects or philosophies or spirituality. And if you think about it, I'm sure we all say in our minds, well, that's counterintuitive to each other. It's almost a radical polarity from one side to the other. But for some reason... They do, these these bad people do have a tendency to tie 
one of the most sacred and spiritual and pure things that we have to hold on to, which is our faith. I thought that was a very odd thing, and apparently it's quite common. If you think about serial killers in the past, and the one in California, Manson always called it his religion and things like that. So I want to take the entire month of May, and I'm going to dedicate talking about serial killers in My first guest is going to be Dr. Scott Bond, and he's going to talk about this strange fascination that we have with serial killers in general. And then week two, May 9th, he's going to talk directly about a conversation that he has with Son of Sam Killer. Do you remember that serial killer? He actually has personal conversations, and he has a book coming out about this. And he now himself a born-again zealot, and he calls himself Son of Hope. Now, if you really can catch my infliction in there, I'm I'm really conflicted with this, and I really want to see what he has to say and how Dr. Scott Bond's impression of what he thought. But I want to talk about that, and then I want to talk about redemption. Is it possible for them to have a spiritual awakening who now Son of Sam is calling himself Son of Hope. We'll see. So I start that series for the next five weeks. Join me back here next week when I start it at high noon on Blog Talk Radio, and we'll see together if this is real. I'll see you next week live. on. Same time, same place, Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for joining Jillian today. Don't miss her famous at-home personal enrichment lessons. You can complete them on your own time to accelerate your personal change. They're simple and nothing like you've experienced before. Just like Jillian, warm and fuzzy with an attitude. So change already.